0: Welcome back, everyone, to the latest episode of High School Transcript. It's been a while. This is your host, Rowan, joined here today by
1: Bailey Bliss, and we are here today with our very own principal, Dr. Amaro, hearing about his journey to becoming a teacher and later principal, all while having a positive mindset.
0: We hope you enjoy giving it a listen.
2: I would say I was very, I was into sports, so I played a lot of sports, as you saw, football, basketball, volleyball. Um, in terms of personality pretty similar to how I am. I would say it was a lot shyer. I mean, if I were to, if I were to have forecasted that I would be in this role when I was in high school, I would have never guessed it. Yeah, I would have never thought that I would then be a high school principal at that time.
0: What did you see yourself doing at that time?
2: Um, definitely, I was looking at being a writer. You know, I think I wrote decently, so I think I thought that I would be an English teacher, a writer, thought about maybe being a lawyer. Um... But then quickly figured out that I didn't want to pursue that. Um, in college, I took a few like history classes and um, like government classes and a few um, like law classes. But it just wasn't as interesting to me as I thought it would be. It sounded like a cool idea. You see it on TV and the news. But it definitely didn't interest me in terms of that being my livelihood.
0: So you said you played sports. Uh, were there any other things that you were involved in or interested in?
2: Um, Journalism. So actually, I started, not started, but I was a big part of the the school newspaper. Um, And now that I think about it, I think writing was already, that was something that I was always inclined to do. Um, So yeah, so I did that. Um, I was pretty, pretty plugged in. Um, But definitely, uh, I think sports took a lot of my time, especially as I became a junior and a senior and I started to work. Uh, I started to work my junior year. And it was pretty much gym, sports, work, homework from 12. That's why I think even right now I stay up pretty late because in high school I was doing the same thing. I was doing homework from 11 to 2 or 3 or whatever and then getting up, going to school, and same type of formula. But it was good. It prepared me for college and even now just knowing what it takes to to put in that work.
0: Where did you work?
2: few different places. Um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with like a drive-in dairy. One of those like drive-in markets. Where like the a car Dairy p-
1: Queen or like a no, Sonic?
2: It's like one of those drive through um, markets. So you okay. pull your car in and then somebody says, hey, what, what can we get you? Okay. And then you yeah. take the milk I out. I <laughs> so I, I worked at one of those places and um, I did that for about a couple years, junior year, senior year of high school.
1: Okay, okay.
2: Super flexible hours
1: seen one of those.
2: Yeah, I haven't seen any around here, uh, but where I grew up in the Covina, San Dimas area, they have quite a bit of them.
0: Have you lived in California your whole life? I have. Would you want to live anywhere else?
2: Um, You know, I've traveled to like New York. I can see myself, you know, living in New York. You know, I like the subway type of environment. You know, I like the idea of working and then walking home potentially. I can see myself doing that.
0: You give off New York vibes. I can see it. Yeah, yeah. I can see it too. Yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah, the times that I've gone there, I've had a really good time.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, so towards the end of your high school career, you saw yourself being a writer. Um, where did that take you as far as college, and at what point did you decide like that wasn't your dream, I guess?
2: So I majored in English okay. in college, and um, you know, your first two years of college, you usually do all the general classes, so you take the math, history, all of that and then the next two years typically is when you major in what you're looking at. So I majored in, started off majoring in political science, and then was going to minor in English and then I ended up reversing it to majoring in English and then minoring in political science. Um, It wasn't till my senior year as I was taking some of the final English classes, there was one class that it kind of overlapped into the education classes. So it was like an English class, but it also was like a teaching class. Um, So I took that class, and part of it it was you had to volunteer, like, at a local school. So they partnered me at an elementary school that was down the street, and I volunteered. And that was my first time really working with students, and I loved it. Like, it was a really, really good time. And part of the program was the school would then communicate back with uh, the university. So they um, communicated back to my professors how we were doing. And one of the teachers or the principal at the school um, shared, like, hey, you know, Henry looks like he really enjoys it. He has some good potential. He connected well with the students. So my, prefer- my professor shared that with me one time during class. And that kind of shifted my thinking because I never actually thought that I was going to look at an English degree towards teaching English. But that totally shifted my mind. Um, Also, within that class, we had to do different article submissions where we had to practice submitting articles for, like, a newspaper or a book. And then right after I got that news, I submitted an article and it got published. So then the teacher was like, Henry, by the way, have you considered – I know you were thinking about being a writer. You actually just got published in this journal. So it kind of made things very complicated because in my mind I'm thinking, wait, should I go the writing route or should I go – the route of education and I think ultimately of course I went the route of education but it was really up in the air at that time. I think the feedback and the feeling that I got working with the students at that time I think that really stayed with me and that that kind of led the direction to where I'm at today.
0: Where did you go to college?
2: Azusa Pacific University.
0: How was your time there?
2: Um, you know, it was, it was good, but I think what I'm seeing now, and I think even with our AVID program that we have, I feel like I was totally unprepared for college, and I found that a lot of the, um, my study habits and the way I was working, and it could have been because of work, you know, the job that I had, it, it didn't translate, I think, as well to my first and second year of college, um, even to the extent that I almost failed a class, Uh, my sophomore year and it really got me questioning like man am I capable was I ever ready for college or was I never fully prepared Um, so that also stuck with me too as I started to work with students was the idea of are we really preparing students to be successful and if not where is the break in the system is it the high school is it the college is it the interaction between students and the professor or the teacher Um, but definitely first and second year of college was a struggle to the extent that I really doubted whether I was gonna be able to, to pull it off. Junior, senior year, once I saw that I had to do it, something shifted, and I think I, I relearned how to study, I relearned how to be a student, and some of those gaps that I had, I, on my own, kind of learned what I needed to do to, to make it happen. I always had the writing to fall back on, but in terms of studying, that's where I really struggled at. You know, I knew I can write myself through a paper, but in terms of a big test, I didn't fully know how to study. You know, if the professor gave the lecture, I didn't know what it meant to to take notes. Did that mean write down every single word or did that mean to kind of, you know, synthesize what the professor was saying? I think those little details you don't really learn in high school unless you're intentionally taught, like through an AVID class, what it means to study, what it means to do good note-taking.
0: So would you suggest AVID as a program for any college-bound student, or do you think that it's like specific students that it would actually benefit? I think it'd be
2: good for every student, at least the strategies, maybe not the AVID class, but at least those basic strategies I think could be good for all students. Even if it was like a ninth grade as you enter high school to learn those strategies, I think that'd be really helpful for every student.
0: Um, So you said you majored in English English and minored in political science. What was the minor in political science? What was your motivation for that? (laughs)
2: <laughs> it's funny you say that. It was actually still with the potential of maybe doing law school. So in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, you know, maybe I should still do it just in case I wanted to pursue that. Yeah. So I majored in English with a concentration in, a concentration in writing and then the political science minor.
0: Where did life take you after you graduated with that?
2: Uh, so from there, after I, I, my senior year, knowing that I wanted to pursue teaching, I then um, saw that at the same school, you can do a, a credential program to be a teacher and also get a master's. And at that point, I think I started to learn how to study. I started to learn strategies and even looking at time frames and looking at goals. So I graduated college at 21, and then I saw that the program, I can get the credential and master's in a year and a half. So I said, man, I would love to have a master's and I wanna get it really as quick as possible. So my plan was to get it by 23, which I did. And that allowed me to have the master's and the credential both and get them both done quickly. However, that heightened sense of being successful and getting the master's happened to be during the time where there weren't really that many jobs, and it was a horrible time to even try to get a job in the year, I think it was 2008 or 2007. So I had the master's, I had the bachelor's, I had the political science, and yet I couldn't get a job.
0: So what did you do?
2: I cried. (laughs) No.
0: (laughs) After that, after you wiped your tears, what did you do? I I cried even more. Oh no.
2: Yeah, that was actually one of the darkest points in my life. I literally, it was. I know it's funny now, but at the time, it was pretty depressing. So I, I worked so hard to be done at 23, had the masters. I felt like I was ready, and yet I would interview, I would apply, and I got no nothing. It was crickets. And then when I would interview, I thought I would do good and there was never any callback and you I was s- still living I'm at sorry. home. I'm sorry. Go ahead. And I was still living at home. So 23 bachelor's, master's thinking that I'm, you know, prepared, couldn't get a job and I'm living at home.
1: Did you at least have like a part-time job? Or- I did.
2: I had a part-time, but it still wasn't enough to really do much. You know, I still depended on my family. And it was hard, you know. At that point, I felt like they had sacrificed so much. I had worked so hard, and then I couldn't provide for myself, you know. So it was it was very challenging.
0: At what point did things change for you?
2: When I really started to focus on the sport of bodybuilding, and I've I've actually written an article about that for USC where and this is really i've shared this story a lot and i think it's a really important story to share so when you are working out when you're focusing on on the bodybuilding a lot of people think that it's based on the physical strength it's based on how much you can lift but it really is how strong your mind is and it really that's the number one piece so what I found is, you know, I used to lift weights, I used to work out, but I didn't really fully understand what that meant in terms of the mind and understanding how if you strengthen your mind, everything else comes after that. So I in my, all my free time when I couldn't work or I couldn't get the job, I just lived at the gym. And I was fortunate to be mentored by some of the older veterans at the gym who just took me aside and they're like, "Henry, you know, we we see some potential." Let's do this. So every day it was almost like a job for me. I would substitute teach or whatever side job that I was doing, go to the gym, LA Fitness, you know, have all my gear, meet up with the guys, and we would just hit the weight really, really hard. And it eventually got to the point where I can I call it the best way to describe it is brain damage, but in a positive way. Where my brain brain literally, um, I would say, got rewired to believe that anything was possible. So whereas before I saw limits and I said, hey, you know what? I'm not a good student. I got to work really, really hard to overcome this. Um, And then I overcame that, but then couldn't get a job. Oh, man, maybe I'm not really as talented or prepared as I thought I was. Hey, I interviewed, but man, these employers are seeing something that I'm not seeing. And they're seeing that I'm really not as competent as I thought I was. Maybe it's I'm living a lie. Maybe I'm really not what I thought it was. But the the working out, the bodybuilding, the rewiring of my brain, so to speak, literally shifted. Um, I believe who I am, and shifted my perception of the world and what's possible. And um, the best way to put it is, uh, there's a book by. Um, well, you what kind of what kind of music do you listen to, Ron?
0: Anything. Everything. It depends on the mood I'm in. Have
2: have you heard of a band called Rollins Band? Yeah. So the guy Henry Rollins, he's really big into weightlifting. And I think in one of the books that he wrote, he talks about um, iron, which is the weights. And, you know, 300 pounds is always 300 pounds. So if you're lifting the weights, you drop 300 pounds on your head, you essentially are gone. Like you're not going to survive The weight never changes. Other things in life change, but the weight won't change. And just kind of that perception of, man, you know, at the end of the day, people might lie to you. They might tell you things that aren't true about yourself, but the iron never changes. It's always 300 pounds. When you rack the weights, 300 pounds. It's not going to go lighter one day. It's the same thing, but it's your mind that can change and how you approach looking at that weight. And as I started to work out and started to lift some of those weights that I never thought I'd be able to do, it literally changed what I believed um, the limits were, you know. And, you know, even, for example, lifting 330 pounds, for example, never thought I'd be able to do it. But the day that I did it and I actually touched it and I felt it, you can't really describe what that feeling is all you know is, whoa, I shouldn't be lifting this. I weigh 210 pounds, why am I lifting this? If I drop this on my head, I literally am dead. I'm not gonna make it. So then when you overcome that, it's like the greatest feeling in the world because nobody can take that away from you. And translate that into where I am today, it's a direct result of that that rewiring of the brain to challenge yourself to something that you thought was impossible. But when you actually accomplish it, there really is nothing that can stop you at that point. But you have to have that rewiring. If you don't experience it, you're not really going to know what your potential is. <laughs> <laughs> so I've shared. I haven't really shared that story a lot. But the times that I have shared it are when I actually wrote it um, for um, a journal for USC. It really allowed me to kind of capture what that actually what that experience is. And I think it's been helpful for some people that have asked me about it, but I truly think it's possible. But you have to become one with your mind, and once you reach in deep to that, there's nothing that you can't. there's nothing that you can't accomplish. And I think where I'm at today, it's the same thing. You know, if you set limits, you're going to reach those limits if you set high bars and you believe you can do, it. you can do it.
1: So, <laughs> mm-hmm. how did you eventually get into teaching? Because I know it was just definitely a long journey, emotionally and mentally, and then you finally, you said you were a substitute for a little bit, right?
2: I was, yeah. I, sub, I was a substitute teacher, I think for two years. So for two years straight, visiting different schools hoping to make an impression, hoping to land the job, and not landing it, but still training my mind for that opportunity. And then finally I got it. So I think it was the summer of '09 that I interviewed um, at a middle school in Banning. And I remember I went to the panel, you know, was dressed up, everything, felt comfortable. Um, but at that point, I think my mind had already been trained. And I started to, I, the rewiring had already occurred. So when I went into that interview, I felt very comfortable and I felt like I was going to do a good job. And sure enough, right after the interview, maybe, I don't know if it was in my car or when I got home, um, but immediately after the interview, the, um, the hiring person at the district called me and he was like, Hey, is this Henry? I'm like, yeah. He's like, I got to tell you, like, I just finished talking to the principal who was on the panel and he just said, I need to hire you right now. So he's like, I'm calling you right now because I need you to commit on the phone that you're going to take this job. He's like, but you need to actually say those words. Like, I I think he was joking around for me to even, <laughs> almost like a verbal contract. Like, we're offering this to you, but you can't accept another job. You have to literally tell me right now that you're going to take the job. And it was very, very uh, surprising to me because, remember, again, I had been interviewing and not getting anything, but preparing my mind mentally and the rewiring phase. So, um... When that happened, I was like, okay, um, I don't know how this <laughs> works, but yeah, I'll uh, I'll, I'll agree to, to go. Thank you for the opportunity. And then shortly after, the principal um, then called me, and he was like a former military guy. He was very, like, even his presence was very intimidating, uh, but he's continued to be a mentor to me. And he was very much like, Henry, like, you you know, there, you realize how many people interviewed for this position. I was like, no, oh. it's like there were hundreds. Like there were the people, the amount of people who applied for this job. He's like, during the time was crazy. And he said, you have no experience. And you even said in your interview that you have no full-time teaching experience, but you've subbed, you have the credentials, but you have no experience. But he's like, I'm still picking you without your experience because I I know you're the guy. So that kind of really played in my mind of, whoa, I actually competed against a lot of people, which I didn't know, and I rose to the top even though there's people who probably applied that had a year or two of experience and were trying to look for a new spot. So got that start and that was kind of the initial entry into where I'm at today. And when I mentioned the mentorship with him, it really was, you know, not only did he hire me and and have high expectations, but he was the one that tapped me on the shoulder at the end of my first year of teaching, and he's like, Henry, you are gonna be an administrator. I I need you to be an administrator. So listen to everything that I tell you, follow all of the advice that I'm giving you, and um, you're gonna be in my spot one
0: day. When you applied for that position or when you realized that you got it, at that point did you see yourself down the road becoming an administrator or did you just see yourself as a teacher? I
2: wanted to be a really good English teacher. That, That was my plan, I wanted to really be an amazing English teacher, be the very best that was out there. Where are you? Uh, that's a that's a really good question, Rowan. I, I don't know <laughs> No, like I'm not like like yeah. kidding. Like,
0: no, do you think you were like a like a good I, English teacher?
2: I do think I was really good. However, I didn't have a lot of time in the role. And it's not I wouldn't say it wasn't by choice. It's just when you get the call, when somebody tells you I need you to do this. Yeah. And they want you in another position. You either say, no, I'm not interested, or you say, hey, you know, I'm believing what you're telling me. Okay, I'll I'll do it. So the long story, the short story of what you're saying is I wasn't able to teach as long as I thought I I wanted to, or I I was planning to because I got tapped on the shoulder to move to a different position.
0: Did you enjoy your time as a teacher?
2: I loved it. I love that I still miss it. Yeah, I think working with students, directly with students, is the best. That's the best situation I think the impact that you have, the relationships that you have, even right now with me meeting with you, this is part of why I want to continue to be, you know, connected with students as much as possible. So I'm envious of these guys because, yeah, (laughs) they get to meet with you guys all the time.
0: A blessing and a curse, I would suppose. (laughs) (laughs) What was the um, transition like for you from being an English teacher to uh, an administrator? How did you transition with that? What was your first administrative position?
2: Okay. um, So I taught, okay, so I'll give you kind of a quick, so I did um, three years at that district in Banning. Um, After the second year, I got what's called tenure. So I became a permanent teacher. Um, Then my third year, you know, I'm already a permanent teacher. Things are going really good. My plan was to be there a long time. Um, But again, the budget crisis at that time wasn't very good. So the district had announced that they were going to be getting rid of all of the teachers who had been hired for um, three years and below, which was me and a bunch of other teachers that were hired at that school. Um, when I got hired at that school, was, uh, I think it was like nine of us who were pretty brand new. Um, so that was devastating news. You know, I had really grown to, to enjoy the school, thought things were going really well. We were really working in a positive direction. And then it was announced that we were all going to get pink slopes. So I had to brace myself for that because then that was a challenge that in my mind it's like, wait, oh man, now it's about to kind of revert back or something unexpected's going to happen. You know, what, how do I plan for this? You know, Is that rewiring still in place to allow me to kind of cope with what's going to happen? Um, and it was. Things ended up working out the way they needed to. At the end of that year when um, we received the pink slip, Uh, we basically had to meet with the principal and he put this like paper on his desk and he basically apologized and said you know henry i'm really sorry about this you know you've done an amazing job but we have to let you go so i went from that moment of oh man this is crazy man i had no choice but to sign it so i signed it gave it to him Um, but then the very next day i get a call from another district rolling unified and the human resources person called me on the phone. He was the human resources person at that district banning that I was just at. What happened was when they were about to do all the budget cuts, he foresaw that happening. So he had left that post in banning and went to Roland Unified like a month ahead of time. So the day after I signed that I was not coming back with my principal, That guy, Dr. Newman, called me from the desk in Roland Unified saying, Henry, I got an opportunity for you. By the way, I'm now here in Roland. We have two interviews lined up for you. Get your paperwork in, and you're going to be in a good spot. He said, just don't let me down because I'm going to move different things for you uh, to ensure that you land one of these spots. So that totally threw me off because I had no clue that he left first off. And then I had no clue that he was already lining me up and marketing me to that new district, which I knew nothing about. Got all my paperwork in, had an interview with the middle school there to be an English teacher, and I was able to land that position, Um, taught there for one year. At the end of that year, the director of curriculum, she had been coming into my classroom to visit, to see what I was doing in the class. At that year, at the end of that year, she was in charge of creating um, three new positions within the district, uh, which were like instructional coaches. So these were people who would go into like Mr. Wimpany's class from the district and they would work on, you know, trading different strategies with Mr. Wimpany, uh, maybe observing him and then being able to provide different feedback um, on how, you know, he can take his game to the next level, for
0: example. I don't uh, know. He's already pretty next level. He is, yeah. So yeah,
2: exactly. So that's a poor example. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Somebody outside of Mr. Anthony. Okay. Okay. Uh, but although we all, I think, could improve, our, we we all could improve our game. Yes,
0: of course. Me of course. included.
2: Uh, <laughs> so, so then, uh, what happened was, like, I got a call at the end of that first year, which is my fourth year teaching and rolling, uh, and that director called and said, Henry. Uh, We're creating three different spots at the district office to be for instructional coaches. And we have two for the elementary and one for the secondary schools. I need you to apply for the secondary schools and you'll be overseeing, coaching all the teachers for the middle schools and the high schools. And I said, cool. okay. I didn't see it coming, but I'll go ahead. And and if you tell me to do it, I, I don't think I'm ready necessarily. But if you're telling me to do it, then you're seeing something that I don't see Then I went back to the whole rewiring, Then I said, okay, whatever you're seeing, I'm going to go with it, and then I ended up interviewing for it, and I got the the position. So I then started that position as an instructional coach. Um, When I started that instructional coach position with her, um, she had been a graduate of one of the best universities um, in the country, USC, Um, so then she... (laughs) Sorry, it's a little. It's a little plug, a little plug. I knew it
0: was coming. Uh, top some twenty-five, point. <clears throat> but that, not number one.
2: <laughs> so, uh, so she had she had told me, um, Henry, I think you know you should consider doing the program. So I'm like, okay, filled it out, and then um, shortly after I got accepted into the program. So I had started the program, and then I also started that position, and then soon after I started. I connected with some of the professors at USC, and then they were the ones who had told me, hey, you need to go into administration. There's some different opportunities for you. Um, So then I applied to be an assistant principal at a middle school, and I got the position, and that was my first administrator role.
0: How was your first year as an administrator, was there anything like crazy that went down at your school or um, It w- wasn't crazy. I
2: think the crazy part was I, I started mid-year. Mm-hmm. So I went into a role where it was December and I was going into it half half year. So usually whenever you go into a role half in the middle of the year, there's some challenges there. And there were, you know, at the school I think there were some behavior challenges. Uh, there was some different shifts of personnel there. Uh, so when I came in, I just went in there and tried to use what I did in the classroom with students and connected with students in that way. And things went really good. You know, I think we, the school, we did pretty well in those two and a half years that I was there. And I think the achievement, student achievement, we, we did pretty well there. Um, behavior, suspension data, we improved a lot, you know, we weren't really striving to necessarily suspend students, but we really looked at the data to figure out what, um, the different challenges were for students and how to meet their needs. So it was, it was a really cool experience.
0: What were some of the big differences that you noticed um, when you transitioned into an administrative role as opposed to just being a teacher? Not just being a teacher, but as opposed <laughs> to being a teacher.
2: Just having to look at the big picture of everything. You know, in, in the classroom you, you focus on the students, which is what you're supposed to do, um, and then even the parents of those students when you get to um, an administrative role now you're looking at the whole school so now it's looking at not just your students but every student on campus every teacher parents Uh, so that becomes your focus and you have to learn how to look at things from that perspective uh, which i would say you don't learn in the classroom you know even when i went to get my credential there's no class that you take that helps you to prepare from being a teacher to an administrator And some people might even say that what you learned in being a teacher uh, doesn't even translate to your job as an administrator. I think they are two distinctly different jobs. Uh, What translates over, I think, is the relationships, the way you communicate with people, um, knowing how to talk to parents, students, teachers. That's the part that I think translates to being an administrator, uh, the relationship piece. If you don't have the relationship piece, you really aren't gonna have a really good opportunity to, to be successful as an administrator.
1: So in the beginning of all of this, you were essentially Mr. Romero.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: How did you become Dr. Romero?
2: So when I started that doctoral program um, at USC, that's, um, that was in, when I first started uh, as an assistant principal um, in Montclair. Uh, it's a three-year program so I went into it um, when I first started as assistant principal. And then right when I finished as an assistant principal, which was at that three-year mark, that's when I, I was able to receive uh, my doctorate. Actually, I think it was a few months before because I remember it was really strange. Once I had, I had finished, I actually finished the doc. Okay, here's a couple things I probably didn't point <laughs> out okay. now that I think about
1: it. Well, hold on.
2: So I f- technically finished high school a semester early and then I finished my doctoral program a semester early. So I finished, and the reason why is the writing part, right? So if the biggest hiccup in the doctoral process isn't the coursework, it's the writing the dissertation, but that was my greatest strength. So I knew how to figure that piece out. So I finished the dissertation early, which meant that by December of 2015, I was completely done. And then the graduation was in May 2016. So when you get your doctorate, it's technically at the point that you finish your dissertation and you defend your dissertation, which I did um, right before Christmas in 2015. So that still left me with five months as an assistant principal with this new title. But it was really strange. Even now, it's still kind of strange to hear that because nobody ever calls me doctor. I never, I don't ever have people call me that My wife doesn't even call (laughs) me, and nobody I know ever calls me that. It's only here at the school. I never use it for anything. I don't have it on, you know, cards. I don't pass out my card or anything. (laughs) I don't go to a restaurant and say, hey, put it under, I don't do that. Mm -hmm. So uh, when I first defended and I shared it with my principal, he was awesome, by the way, and he was super proud of me. So um, I used to do the morning announcements as an assistant principal. He used to always let me do it. Um, and I used to, you know, do, Hey, welcome, you know, Spartans, you know, we're going to make it a great day and all of that. And I'll still remember the day after I finished, I did the announcements. And then he hopped on the speaker right after I I did the announcements. And then he said, Spartans, by the way, Mr. Romero is now officially Dr. Romero. So please be sure to refer to him as Dr. And I remember hearing that from my office and thinking, why is he doing that? And then second, is this a joke? It sounds really weird. Like, I, I didn't like the way it sounded. I didn't like, I just didn't believe it. Um, and I honestly wouldn't have even told the students or even the school to even refer to me as a, I just would have waited it out that semester. But he let the cat out of the bag and he he had people uh, refer to me as a.
0: What was your dissertation on?
2: It was on, uh, let me think of the title. It's actually really long. <laughs> an, e- <laughs> an examination of small, mid-sized, and large school district superintendents and the strategies that they employ to increase the academic achievement of English language learners.
1: That was the title of? That was the title of it. That's the
2: lot. Yeah. So I incorporated the idea of raising the achievement for students um, English language learners. And then also I wanted to talk to superintendents of these different districts Uh, to understand if they're even aware of what their district is doing to improve those outcomes for students. And I purposely, um, I did it kind of as a joint study. Um, So one of my friends was working on the small districts, Uh, another buddy was working on the data for the mid districts and then I purposely wanted the large districts uh, because I wanted to meet personally with those large district superintendents, specifically LA Unified, that's the biggest one. So I wanted to meet with that superintendent and I was able to do that through that dissertation process. Uh, so it was a great experience, you know, being able to kind of meet with them. You know, I gave them a survey, much like how we do, and then was able to also meet with them face-to-face um, to kind of gauge what they're doing in their district and how they're, they're supporting students. So it was, it was a cool experience. Um, you know, was it intimidating? Yes, but it was good to be able to practice my speaking and to kind of be a researcher. You know, I have the research done, I have the data, and then now can I speak to it? You know, can I email or call this person and get them to put me in their busy calendar? You know, and that, it was a journey to, to make that happen, but they were more than willing to help out. So it was cool.
0: Okay. So after you made the transition from Mr. Romero to Dr. Romero, where did your career take you, and how did you end up here at Lakeside?
2: Okay, so um, after... After I finished that year um, as an assistant principal, so I I was an AP for two and a half years. Um, I graduated from USC in May. Uh, We had our eighth grade promotion in June. And then at that point, one of the other middle schools in that district, the largest one in the district, uh, the principal was gonna be, I think he was gonna be leaving. Uh, So at that point, I was asked to consider applying for that position which was cool timing because I had just finished you know the doctorate I was I was feeling like I was ready for the next step and then the perfect situation opened up you know the largest school in the district um, I was going to be the youngest principal in the district and the fact that they were going to trust me with the biggest school the most financial support there um, they had the IB program the fact that I was even considered for it was super incredible, but I did feel ready for it. Um, so yeah, I think uh, after I graduated, um, the interview for it was like a few weeks later, and then I interviewed for it, um, and I was able to, to land the position. And it was one of the biggest interview panels that I've ever been a part of. Uh, now that I think about it, it was, there was two openings, there was that school and another middle school. And what the HR department would try to do is they would try to combine panels. So I want to say when I interviewed and I walked into the room, there probably was 40 people in the room. It probably would have been desks all around a classroom in a U form. And then I sat, you know, on one end. So it was definitely one of the most intimidating that I've ever seen. Uh, But it worked out
0: so how did you end up here at lakeside
2: so um i served in that capacity for about three years Um, and what i had found with the school being you know it was large it was the largest school there Um, that particular district was an elementary district so we had the middle schools and a lot of elementary but we were missing the k-12 we didn't have the high school aspect and i was kind of feeling like man I was, I was feeling a little bit on my own in terms of my staff because we were functioning kind of like a high school. We had the big budget, we had sports, we had a pretty big promotion ceremony, um, but it didn't feel like I was getting the full picture of where I wanted to see students. And I had felt that too as an assistant principal where we have the big eighth grade promotion. And it was it was awesome seeing students walk across the stage. But in my mind, I was thinking, man, I still want to see these students walk across the, the real stage, the, the, the senior stage. And in that particular district, I couldn't. I knew I could never get that because it stopped at eighth grade. So that was something that was on my mind probably my second year as a principal where I kept on thinking, like, man, this is really cool, but I, I want to see it for a student who's 17 or 18. You know, this is giving me a taste of it, but I honestly want to see a student on the verge of high school graduation and guiding them towards their dream college or their dream career. So it had been in my mind and there had been a few opportunities that had presented themselves um, that I had almost jumped at uh, because they were, they were pretty cool opportunities. Uh, like one of them, for example, uh, was Beaumont High School. So that was one that had come to, uh, to me and it looked like, man, should I, should I go for this? It looks like that's a great opportunity. But something just didn't feel right. You know, it it didn't quite feel like that was the right one. Um, So then in my third year at that school, as we were moving forward, I really became very strong that, man, I need to really start looking at this because I I really, you know, the more I'm working with students, the more I'm finding that um, I wanna see, I wanna truly help a student kind of like yourself to know what colleges are gonna go to, give them any key information they need. Because a lot of times, I think when students aren't successful, especially in moving towards a college or a job or whatever career, it's not really because they can't do it. It's maybe they're not getting the right information. And I found in my experience, there, there are situations like that where some students will get the key information and others don't. And if I had a part in that, I would want to be able to sure, be sure all students knew the inner workings of how to navigate some of these systems Um, of getting to college, getting financial aid, getting scholarships. And I had felt that since I had people tapping on my shoulder, sharing that with me, that I should be doing the same thing with our students. And I thought at high school that would be the best opportunity to do it. So um, long story short, when uh, I determined that I wanted to do it, um, I had connected with a few people who were mentors of mine. And they had presented and said, hey, you know what, there is this opportunity, and it happened to be Lakeside. And as I looked into it, um, I researched, I looked at the website, I looked at all the different features, and everything just seemed like it lined up. It seemed like, man, if I was ever going to throw my name in the hat, this would probably be a situation where the alignment was there. And I never wanted to um, ever just apply to a job just for the title. So if it was simply just to become a high school principal, I think that's the wrong motive. But if it's the right fit, then I think that's the right, that's the right motive. Um, so I was always looking at that. I never wanted to apply for something that was two hours away because then I'm not gonna be happy and I'm just taking a job for, for the name. So Lakeside happened to be within the parameters. I looked into it, I did a lot of investigation and it seemed like it was very similar to the school that I was currently at, just within a high school setting. So through my name in the hat had never I hadn't interviewed in three years, um, and I interviewed for Lakeside, and I was able to to get it. But it was definitely a shock for my previous school. So if anybody from my previous school is listening to this, it, it wasn't in it wasn't planned so to speak. And I think uh, it. Looking back, I think it it was a huge shift that I'm happy I made. But I think. Um, with my previous site, I think it's always important to to uh, keep that communication um, to make sure that you know the previous school that you're at that they're in the loop for for how everything's going. Um, but yeah, I, I'm happy to be here.
0: What was your first um, year at Lakeside like? Chaos. I'm well, it was it was, it was it was the very end of the year, <laughs> yeah. so
2: I came in right at the time when it was all the senior activities. Uh, so to me, it was really cool. It was just weird um, wrapping up my last because at the middle school, graduation is in May, so I literally worked at that site till like uh, two weeks before the school year was done. So I basically finished that year, and then yet I'm starting you know the last six weeks here. So I had some closure there, but it was it was actually strange. It, it felt like I was living two different years within one year. You know, I invested all my time there. We wrapped it up, we closed it off. Um, my last school, we had gotten a really big award right before I left. Cause I was supposed to actually come to Lakeside before April. I think it was supposed to be in, in February. I had interviewed in February and then it was set to happen. But because my school was getting a big award, um, I wanted to be there to send off and to be there to, to meet with the committee and to celebrate with the school. So I stayed there a couple more months beyond. Uh, so I would say it was emotional. It was a, definitely an emotional ending there to wrap it up there, and then to know that three days later I would then be starting here. It was quite. It was quite the the journey.
0: What were some of the things that um, you noticed, or was I guess a culture shock for you when you walked on the Lakeside's campus?
2: I wouldn't say there was a culture shock. The only thing that I I probably noticed was, I think, the desire for um, our students to um, be, what's the word, acknowledged, I think. That's probably the best way to put it. You know, as I kind of immersed myself and I was here, you know, just walking around trying to be sure I was out with students, I just noticed there was a a big desire for students to want to be recognized, to want to be acknowledged, um, probably the, the biggest thing that was eye-opening to me was that students were kind of thrown off when I would go up and talk to them. Oh, yeah. And there were quite a few students that were like, wait, even we, we don't know what it's like to talk to the principal. You know, they, It was almost like, why are you talking to so us? Are we in trouble? But it was, re- <laughs> it was really, uh, in a way, kind of awkward. But that's how I was trained, you know, as a vice principal, as a principal. I was always with students... It wasn't really strange for them to talk to me. So I just took that same mentality here. But I remember that first week or two, it threw a lot of students off because it was something that was different for them. But I liked it because I wanted them to know that things were going to be different.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, it was a little interesting having some random dude walking around campus like, Hi, guys. Yeah. (laughs) Like, my (laughs) freshman year,
1: I didn't even see the principal before like I never met them and didn't know what they look like it's like we have a principal <laughs> mm-hmm. that was my freshman year I was so confused and then I saw you on campus I was walking across the quad to get um to my next class and I was like who's this guy <laughs> I'm like walking my friend like who hey, is this she's like I don't know It, it, was it definitely is. definitely it is different to see that
2: it is you know I, I have other friends that work at the high school as well and or whether they're high school teachers and it's it's different and but that's part of what I think I brought to the table which I thought was going to be unique is that I think that's equally as important being with students being out there as anything else that I can possibly
1: do in this role I mean it's definitely nice to know like that we have a principal that cares about the students and wants to know like what's up like hey mm. you need help I got you I got you exactly like, that's what's
2: up it is, and that, that's the part that I think is really important to me, that I think would, um, and that's how I've been trained. You know, everybody that has helped me get to this point, it really was because of that. That's the biggest part is never lose sight of the fact of why you're in that role and to take it seriously.
0: Do you see yourself staying at Lakeside, or do you see yourself pursuing, like, a higher-level like district or another administrative position somewhere else?
2: Um, I, I want to stay at Lakeside. You know, I, I love being here. You know, I, I, I do. As long as you guys want me here, I, I, I plan to be here. I guess I can stay. <laughs> yeah, I, I, this is, as I've said, even to staff when I first got hired, this is the dream job. It really is. You know, even beyond Lakeside, down the road, when I do enter that whatever next step, it this will be the, the very best that I'll, I'll have. And that's the part that I'm very aware of. You know, no matter what happens down the road, this is the dream job. And I'm trying to take that in every single day.
0: No, I think it's definitely been um, a positive change uh, having a principal that actually interacts with the students and stuff. So that's been good. Um, As far as like what you do in your free time or doesn't really seem like you have a lot of free time. But if you have free time, (laughs) what do you enjoy to do in your free time, either by yourself or with your family?
2: So I still so family definitely that's Mm -hmm. I mean, you've seen my daughters, they're they're getting bigger now. (laughs) So I have a two year old and a four year old, so we they're they're everything, you know. I love being able to spend time with them. Um so a lot of it is having to get creative because my wife, you know, she knows the hours that I'm putting in. So as you see, I'll bring them to some of the events that we have here. Um, but for sure I I know some staff they're probably curious why I send emails super late which I do but it's because of the system that I'm on you know I've learned like when I get home I try not to be on the phone and the computer immediately I know I'm gonna get back on it but I try like once I pull up in the in the driveway I try not to really be on it and spend time with the family because my daughters are young so they go to bed pretty early still so I might start putting them at, at a 30 or, or for example um hard part is when I start putting them in the bed, that means I get in the bed with them and then I fall asleep. So then that's when I wake up at 10 or 11 or even later sometimes and then I start to get some of the work done. Uh, but it's just, it's knowing how to kind of manage that time. On the weekends especially, it's important to spend time with my family. So Saturdays we usually try to do something and then even Friday nights we'll do something. Um, And Sundays is when I kind of get back to getting in my mind and in the the mode of work. Um, Working out, I still, you know, I'm not as crazy as I used to be in it, but I still because it helped me to get to where I'm at today. I'll never stop. You know, I have to continue to keep my mind ready for it. But I still um, continue. You know, as I work with different people, um, or if I even have different friends, or even. Um, if there's different administrators that I, that I'm mentoring and on the side, I do have different networks where I'm working with up and coming administrators. And one of the key pieces of advice I always tell them is to focus on working out and having some kind of fitness routine, because I really do believe that whole mind piece is crucial to, to everything else, especially with the hours that, you know, that we're talking about. It's a, it can be pretty demanding and if you're not taking care of your body, And you're not taking care of your mind i think it's gonna it's gonna show in other areas and that's the other cool part actually when i think of (laughs) high school Uh high school sports that right there you can't compare that to anything else you know just knowing that even if um, knowing that i have built-in plans every every weekend if i want you know so i can go to friday night football family can come that's like a guaranteed family event right there you know if there's a saturday sports game Wednesday night, baseball, soccer. So if you get really creative, you can find a lot of different ways to incorporate people, um, you know, your family, relatives, friends. So it's pretty cool. Uh, I can
1: make up questions. I can make up questions too. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead, go for it. Ready? Yeah. What's your favorite color? (laughs) Green. Okay, um, favorite animal? Cliché. I know, I know. I I was like, and you're going to ask him his
0: second favorite, and he's going to be like, Vegas gold.
1: Actually, for our cap and gowns, it's old gold.
0: Old gold. Old gold,
1: gold. that's what it says. What kind of
0: bootleg? What? Old gold. Does
1: it still say hunter green? Oh, I don't think it says hunter green. It
2: really says old gold?
1: It says old gold on it. I picked it up yesterday, and I looked at it. It said old gold. It's like, oh, we okay. have so many different shades. Like whenever, whenever any sport orders a uniform, it's like, oh, I got dark green. Oh, I got Kelly green. Oh, but I got forest green. It's like, well, oh, I got the, has anyone dark just got green. green. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> and every gold looks different. Mm, they're all, the all same, right. anyways. They're all
2: gold. <clears throat> Go ahead, continue <clears throat> with favorite your favorite animal, okay. dogs, dog.
1: Okay, a country that you visited outside Ooh. of America.
2: Oh, man. I am not well-traveled. So, Mexico.
1: Country that you want to visit?
2: Hmm. I think Spain.
1: Favorite topping on pizza?
2: Pepperoni. Mm. Or bacon. (laughs) That's fair. (laughs) (laughs) I love bacon.
1: (laughs) And let's see. Hmm. Favorite... Old-time movie.
2: Back to the Future.
1: Yeah. (laughs) That's it. (laughs) What's your vision for Lakeside?
2: (laughs) It would truly be to match our programs with what the physical campus looks like. You know, when you drive by the campus, it looks like a college campus. It looks amazing. So really trying to match that with the programs that we offer So, you know, if a student wants to explore a career in engineering, you know, I think we should have those opportunities. If they want to come here to play baseball and to potentially be mentored to be a pro, we should have those opportunities. Um, So, I I really want to ensure that we have those programs that students are um, curious about and they're interested in, and that we can offer that. You know, I, I don't like the idea that a student might look at our programs and compare them to another school and then they might choose to go to that school because we can't offer that. So I really want to ensure that we can offer, we can be competitive in what we're providing to students. That way we can retain the talent that we have. Um, I think there's, there's, there shouldn't be a reason why we lose students to a school down the street or even a few blocks away.
0: What is, like, one big, like, thing or lesson that for any of our students or any just people in general listening to this podcast or this episode specifically that you want them to take away from this?
2: Anything is possible. You know, despite a circumstance that you face, despite what somebody's told you, despite um, an obstacle that you've, you've encountered, if you have the right support system and the right person behind you encouraging you, anything is possible. And sometimes that means asking for help and not everybody's willing to do that. But I think here at our site, I would hope that our students can identify like a Mr. Flannery or somebody that we have here, that if you ask them for help, that they'll show you the ropes of how to get to where you need to get. I've learned that in life, there's a lot of um, pathways to getting to the next step. And some of these, I look at pathways as like freeways. There's freeway access, but sometimes not everybody has the same pathway or they don't know of certain pathways. And that's where I think for those of us who are the adults on our campus, if we have knowledge of those pathways, I want us to be able to share that with every student. You know, Because if that's been shared with me, then I need to be able to provide that to our students. And in life, just like with jobs and careers, there's a lot of hidden pathways. And I don't think it's fair that some people know of them and others don't. Um, So that's kind of my mission here at Lakeside and even beyond is whatever knowledge I have that somebody needs, I should be more than willing to share that to help them fulfill their full potential. And that's where that whole growth mindset is really important. You know, knowing that a student, all of us can be challenged. So like Rowan, for example, if you have a 4.4 GPA and you've been able to accomplish that by giving 95% of your effort. That's commendable, but yet what if you actually gave 100%? And I know it's not really – I know you're giving 100, <laughs> but I think they're You <laughs> just know, called me
0: out. <laughs> somebody's like, I'm not but,
1: saying anything. But
2: there's a, lot of, there's a lot of people that don't really do that. They've learned how to manage to kind of coast by getting close but not reaching that full potential. And I think the more we're willing to, um, to sacrifice and to – Try at least to hit that hundred percent. Anything is possible.
1: Um, thank you for doing this podcast with us. It was definitely awesome to hear, you know, your transition from, you know, the struggle and trying to get a job as a teacher, and then eventually getting that job and having your dream job. So that's definitely cool.
2: Thank you for the invite.
1: Welcome.
0: Make sure you guys drop us a follow on Instagram and Spotify at High School Transcript, and be sure to keep an eye out for our new episodes as they're released every Wednesday and Sunday. See you guys next time.